How is everybody tonight? You guys doing all right? Amen. Praise God. I uh, want to thank Pastor B and all of you again for being here tonight and for asking me to be a part of this meeting. And again, particularly because I really, really do like this theme. Uh, it's it's uh, just taking the time to prepare and just to, uh, to get ready. I'm learning myself. That's, that's the amazing thing about God. <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm truly hoping that, especially tonight, that we're going to be able to take home some keys with us that will begin to help us going forward. And then in a few days left, I'm going to talk expressly about marriage itself. But I think this is very important. This foundation on these values are very, very key. And uh, I'm taking something away from Lateran because when I get back to the States, I have to go back and do this teaching. Uh, this, this issue of, of values. Amen? Amen? Amen. So are we ready tonight? Yes, sir. Father, we thank you again for the presence that you, and the table that you set before us. With joy and with gladness, we anticipate and we receive and we embrace your word, which is able to save our souls. Thank you for every man and every woman. Bless our homes. Guide us. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, this mic is so great. You guys don't understand this. <laughs> a mic can kill a preacher. Well, you guys are giving me life tonight. Amen. I really do appreciate Whoever is doing this, keep on doing the great work. It's awesome. Good. Let's go further tonight on the message that we started last night on recovering godly values for our homes. Last night we said that values are ideals, customs, or institutions which basically help define a person or family as we function and behave. I just want to add a few things to that tonight and then move forward from there. I also want to add tonight that values can be both motivational and also restrictive. They can be both motivational and also restrictive. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Values can be motivational in the, in the sense that it gives reasons or justifications for doing things. Your values gives you motivation, reasons, and justification for doing certain things. You, you, you see some people, they're doing the same thing over and over, and you wonder, why are the guys doing this? They're doing that because a value system is directing them or guiding them in their line. Let me give an example on that. A, a few years ago, well, not few now, it's, it's been a while back, now, in 1984, I believe it was, the makers of Tylenol ran into a problem in Chicago where they found uh, two or three containers of Tylenol contaminated. Now, as a businessman whose business is to make money, what would you do? What call would you make? Would you simply pull the three bottles out of the shelf and keep on doing business as usual? The makers, I can't remember, the, I don't know if it's Justin or Johnson now, whoever makes Tylenol, they had made a decision. They have core values that guided the corporation and their business ethics years before the incident. So while some of us are scratching our heads and saying, okay, what are these guys going to do? They didn't have to think. 
their value, there was a core value for the ethics of their business already determined for them because of action. You know what they did? They withdrew all the Tylenol on all the markets in the U.S., period. Well, in case you are just thinking, that caused them tons of millions of dollars to, to do. But you see, for them, it's not, it's not, it's just, it's not just making money. It's a lot more than that. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Values is not just about what you get and put in your pocket. This, these are guiding principles that while you are gone, they still speak. So for these makers of talent, all, they didn't have to think about it because they've resolved a way back that if they ever run into any problem of that like, this is what they will do. So they didn't have to call a board meeting. They didn't have to debate it. They didn't have to talk about it. They didn't have to argue about it. Once they knew about the incident, they withdrew all the tunnel from the market. But you know what happened as a result of that? The consumer confidence in that entity went to the roof. That if these guys can make this call, even though it cost them short term, we are willing to continue to buy their product. Whatever they bring to the market, we buy it. That's what values do for you and I. So they are, first of all, motivational, which means they help guide us. They help uh, guide our, or uh, justify the things we do and why we do them. On the other hand, values are also restrictive. Pastor touched on that a little bit last night. They are restrictive. In other words, they help determine certain things that you will not do. They help establish boundaries. That's what he used last night. They help determine boundaries within which you knew you will never do certain things. I, I, I really trust God tonight that if we will get these few items straight in our lives, you're going to see significant marked difference in your life going forward. Because certain things are going to be resolved for you. You don't have to think about them anymore. You don't even have to pray about it anymore. Because you pray before you resolve them. They are both motivational and restrictive. How do you think Joseph escaped the allurement of Potiphar's house? Notice the Bible did not tell us that he had to pray. No. No. What actually took that day was resolved years before the day came. His value system had already informed him what he needed to do should he ever find himself in a compromising position or situation. That's why what we're talking about here tonight is very, very, very important for us to catch. Amen? Values serve as moral compass for decisions we must make daily. We've had some great family conferences. We've talked greatly on marriage. You've done that here. I've done that abroad. But I'm telling you, even for me, I really see the value of what we're doing this week. Because we are talking about things that will help you on a day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day basis. Values. 
It serves as a moral guide, moral compass for decisions you are going to make daily, continually. Not just one time. So if you don't have them, you lack the ability to make those choices and decisions when you need to make them. Very huge. Amen? Now, many of us work in organizations that have core values, businesses that have core values or best practices. And when we get into, employment, into the employment, we, 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 we subscribe to those things. Uh, we, we try to follow those uh, values of the corporation or the business or the entity. But I want to suggest tonight that if the value of your business or the entity or the organization you're working with does not align with your personal core values, there's a conflict. There's a conflict. There must be integrity. There must be a wholeness. There must be a completeness. And that's why it's important for you, first of all, to establish your own value system so that when you're applying for a job or you're seeking to do business with X, Y, Joe, or whatever the name is, and you find out what their core system, value system is, if it's not matching what you already subscribed to, it's a no-go. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how much money they offer you. If you don't make that call up front, you're going to have to compromise in the future. That is why what we are talking about here tonight is absolutely critical. You have to have an established set of values that you believe in, you subscribe to, and you are living by. So that when you, are, you now go out, everything else must be judged on the basis of the core value that you've already adopted for yourself. Absolutely critical. Now, where our personal core values contradict or do not align with what we know God's values to be, we have another problem. And in that case, it's not rocket science. You know what you need to do. You need to ask God to help you to make that adjustment immediately. Because as you're going to find out, values may change based on the circumstances and the situation around you. For instance, if you are single, you may have a set of values that guide you as a single person. But once you start getting married and having children, you're going to have to add, delete, or make some kind of adjustment to those value systems to accommodate your new position or your new circumstance. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying to us is we need to constantly be sure that our core value systems are in alignment with God, and if there's any variance at any time, God is not going to change, you have to change. Amen. Okay, let's get to a scripture here. Psalm 15. This particular psalm gives us an illustration of a value-driven person. Psalm 15, beginning from verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and walks righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. It's he who swears to his own heart and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Now look at the last sentence here. 
because these things shall never be moved. Car. What a statement. He finished telling us all those things and now he says, listen, let me just close this out. Whoever does these things will never be moved. Circumstances may come, storms may rage, the winds may blow, all kinds of things may be happening around you, but if you imbibe the principles found in this small passage of scripture, the Bible says, the person shall never be moved. Now, going back to the passage, there are at least four values that we see here that's driving the person that's been described here in this passage. And what I want us to see is how the values that's driving them is motivating the behavior that the Bible describes. And that is hopefully what we're trying to accomplish. That when we have established core values in us and in our homes, in our families, hopefully as a result of those values, our behavior will begin to align with the values. Number one, the psalmist tells us that because this person values truth from his heart, his words will also express truth. In verses 1 and 2. Because this person values truth. Therefore, when they speak, you don't have to find out, you don't have to think of, oh, is it really true or not? I don't know if it's just me, but there are certain individuals. Right now it's 7.20. If they came to you and said the time is 7 o'clock or 7.20, you're going to have to look at your time because you, they, they do not know how to speak truth. Oh, you guys don't have them in Lagos. Well, well let, let, let me just tell you, where I am, where, where I came from, in fact, we had to have a whole service one Sunday, long, long time ago. We, have, we had to preach about lying and at the end of that message, we had to call a, call a guy and say, please come forward. This is the guy we just preached about. True story. True story. This guy was destroying the kingdom, the church, and the name of God everywhere. Pastor, I mean, this, this, I mean, this, this guy was a menace. It was, it was that bad. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly gentle person. I normally would not just propose to do a message like that, but we had to. What was getting back to us? That this guy, by himself alone, was dispelling people from the kingdom of God because every time he opened his mouth, it's, it's a lie. And he didn't have to think about it. It's just natural. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that knows somebody like that. But here the psalmist is saying, listen, because a person values truth from their heart. When they speak, they only speak truth. The individual I just described to you, they don't, know, they don't value truth. For him, truth is just, hey, okay, you speak truth for him, for him, lying is the thing, and he just does it. Naturally, I mean, no thinking about it at all. He didn't have the value, so he could not speak truth. So what we say here is, when you embrace truth and say, you know what, come what may, I'm going to allow truth to be the only guiding principle in my life as a core value, you, you have no, under those circumstances, you only speak the truth. Number two. Number two. He says, because he values kindness. He does, he does his neighbor no wrong. 
Jesus, he values kindness. Kindness. He does his neighbor no wrong. So if I'm not going to do my neighbor any wrong, I have to have a value that has kindness in it. I want to be kind to my neighbor. Therefore, I'm going to, I'm going to go all out of my way to be sure I do not do my neighbor any wrong. But if I don't have kindness, then my neighbor is game. It's game. Neighbor, hey, fight for your own. Anything is game. Everything is open. Number three. This is good. All of them is good, actually. Look at number three. He said, because he values honesty, he keeps his oath even when it hurts. Verse four. The only reason you're going to keep an oath when it even hurts you is because you made a commitment. So, if honesty is a value that's driving me, then when I make a commitment, when I, when I give an oath, I'm going to do everything possible to keep it. And then number four, in this passage, because he values justice, he does not accept bribe against the innocent. Verse 5. I mean, think about that. Whoever is taking bribe, they are doing so because justice is no value to them. For those guys, money is the ace card. Give me the money, we trump the justice. Justice can go fall out, you know, in the, out, out of the window. But when you value justice, you want to make sure everybody has an uh, equity in the situation. You're not going to just accept a bribe and, trump the case, and just throw the case away or whatever the situation is. So, in this passage, we see how the values we embrace drive the behavior we see. Are you getting it? Does it make any sense? This is not rocket science at all. Now, God himself we know is the one who established godly values. And I don't think I can read all the scripture, but you can see all of this actually in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. God gave the commandments that we now summarized, and today call it Ten Commandments. And from those commandments, you can see all the values that God wants us to embrace and live by that will be a blessing to us. They are there. But what I just want to bring out, though, from, from that passage, is that by looking at Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, we see the biblical foundation of the relationship between us and God, on the one hand, and between one another, on the other hand. And God is just saying, listen, if you guys, if you guys just try to follow this, if you just try to learn this and embrace this, Number one, you'll be correctly aligned with him. And number two, you have consideration and alignment with your brother. That's why Jesus came in Matthew chapter 22. I believe in verses 37 and 38 when he was being questioned about what is the greatest law in the commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered the man and said, listen, loving the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your body, your soul, and your mind. 
That's the first commandment. And I said the second is like the first. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, he goes on to make a pronouncement. He said, upon these two hang all the laws. If you are right with God and you seek to be right with your neighbor, the rest is history. And really, that's what values do for us. They guide us so that we do not compromise the value system of God, but at the same time, so we can have the proper relationship with the people that are around us. So let's go to some specifics tonight as we move forward. How do I establish godly values? How do I establish them? And I'm going to give us some examples of godly values, but I don't want you to take my examples and take them as the, as, as, as the only examples. I'm just going to throw some things out there, but you're going to need to do the exercise yourself, and I'm about to give it to you now. The exercise. How do I establish godly values? Assuming you don't have one tonight, or assuming maybe you, you are living uh, and you really have not given this any thought or any consideration, I want to take us through the process of how do I, from today, establish one. Now, does this mean you don't have values? No, I'm not saying you don't have any values. You do have them. Because whatever behavior you're doing, some value is driving those behaviors. So you already have some, some values in, in place. But based on what we've taught this week, and based on your understanding of what God expects of us, how do I go back either to reevaluate the current value systems I have, or how do I establish fresh ones that's going to guide me going forward? Number one, identify your value list. You have to make a list. And I'm going to give us a guide on how to do that. Make a list of all the values that you want in your life or in your family or in your business. Now, this list can be three things. Or it could be 99 things. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Let, let, just, 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 watch, just listen carefully as I take you through the process. Now, if you are a married person and you have a family, I want to strongly suggest that you involve your family in making this list. Why? It elicits good, healthy discussion and it promotes good family time. Something none of us have enough of it to begin with. Shall I say that again? You guys are looking at me very strange. <laughs> I say if you're a family man or woman, if you have a family, this is a good as any time to come together and say, you know what? Let's sit down and drop our core values for this family. Let's make the list. Husband gives his list. Wife gives his list. The children include them. Let them give their list. And let each person define why they want this list. This things on the list. Wonderful discussion time. You'll be shocked if I was to tell you how many minutes on the average, on the single day, husband and wives or parents and children have real talk time. What statistics is telling us now? I'm not talking about functional conversation. How is the food? How was your day? Uh, are the children all right? Did you go to school today? 
You should go to work today. That don't count. That does not count. Because, why, 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 does, why does not that not count? Because none of those things have really, really sought to find out how I am. What is wrong with my world today? What is going on in my emotions? How am I thinking? What is? What will I want to do with my life? None of those. None of those questions have probed deep enough to find that out. And the reason most of us do not have the kind of intimacy that God wants us to have is because we don't have those conversations. Oh wow! I'm on a vein tonight. I'm hitting a, a chord. This is good. All right. So that's a good start. Come to, to the table. And this, this gives a little guidance to the discussion going forward. What kind of values do you, have, do you want to see us have in this home? You talk about yours. The other person talks about them. Yes. And the children also come to the table. Don't worry about how long it is initially. Okay? If you are single, you are not left out of this exercise. If you are single and living alone, you are not left out of this exercise. You also make a list of the values you want to drive your life. And again, don't be concerned for how, about how long they are initially. Another question I want to give you is, do not choose values that you think you like. Rather choose values that are truly important for your situation. Okay. Next. And again, like, like I said, don't be concerned about how long the list is. That's, at this point on stage one, we're not concerned about that. It could be nine, it could be three, it could be 99. That's fine. Just make sure you have enough paper to write it all down. <laughs> so next, after you've written them down, we're going to prioritize these values. We're going to establish priorities for them. Now, before you establish the priorities, on this step two, this is the place now where we're going to try to narrow down the list. And it's easy to do. For instance, somebody in the family says, you know what, education is, is key, is, is big for me. I need to put this as a, as a, as a value. So maybe the, the other child says, knowledge, knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. I want to get knowledge. So on, on that stage one, number one, when you're listing everything, you list them all. But now, number two, as you're about to establish priorities, you need to begin to start narrowing down, and you do so by combining certain things on the same, on the, on the similar subheading. Knowledge and education. We can say learning. Do you see how it just reduced two to one right there? So on that learning, you cover both knowledge and education. So now, in this second stage, you begin to narrow down your list. Once you narrow it down to what you see as a consensus in your family, in your household, or if it's a single person, you say, okay, I'm comfortable now with these 15 items or 9 or 7, however, however many there are. Now, it's time for you to begin to establish priorities. And what do I mean by that? In the order of importance, which ones of, on this list is most important? I have to, have to, have to, have to, have to do. You start going down the list and itemize them 
in the order of importance. You establish priorities. Okay? Now, number three in this process of establishing core values. Examine the list again and see if you need to add anything or delete anything. Examine the list again and see if you need to add anything or delete anything. So now number four, we evaluate. So we start by identifying. Number two, we prioritize. Number three, we examine. Now number four, we evaluate. What do I mean by that? Now we're going to be asking ourselves questions. How are this set of values going to affect your life? How? How are they going to affect your life? And this is what's going to happen. Once you've accepted and embraced this set of values, you need to either memorize them or have them in a place that's handy. Either you memorize them, you internalize them, or you have your list handy. And from that moment forward, each, you can evaluate each decision you have to make with confidence and intelligence. You can begin to evaluate each decision that you have to make with confidence and intelligence by asking yourself a simple question. And the question is, what shall I do in this situation if these are my guiding principles of life? What shall I do when I get on a job situation and my boss says I should change the numbers? And I know it's not true. And I've already determined in my heart that as my core value, honesty is one of them. When they are telling me to change the numbers, you already know what you need to do because you're asking yourself the question based on your list, based on my core value, I must speak the truth, I must work in integrity, I must work in honesty. Therefore, boss, I am sorry, I can't go where you're trying to take me. End of question. Oh, I know you are asking me, but Pastor, if I do that, I'll lose my job. Lose it. It's better for you to lose your job than lose your life. Because if you lose that job on the basis of your honesty and integrity, I guarantee you God has another opening for you. You see, we never find these things out because we never do them. That job was never your source. It was just a means through which God met a need in your life. It was never intended to take over what God does for you. God is the source, is the source, is the source, will always be the source, not your jobs. He sent you to that job so that you can demonstrate his godly values and be the light in the darkness where you're working. So when your crooked, wicked, evil, greedy, covetous boss comes to you and asks you to change numbers so that he can pad his own pockets and give you maybe $5,000 for what you've just done, you don't sell your soul. You don't. You let him know the buck stops here. You let him know you are a servant of Jehovah and Jehovah is the one that takes care of you, not him. It's the truth. 
I'll give you an example. You guys know this guy. He's a popular uh, juju musician a long time ago. Have you ever heard of him? Akbola sound. Okay, thank you. I know you were dancing Akbola in those days. Forgot to say. He gave this testimony. The guy is born again now. He's a missionary. He said for them as, 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 as a uh, musician in those days, they took so many things for granted. Anytime they had a big gig or a show or a party, I mean, it was, it was already known that on that night, every night that they have any, any gig or show, he was going to sleep with a different woman. Easy. I mean, somebody there been dancing to his music all night will go home and go to sleep with him. That's, not, that's no question. He did not even think about that. That's, 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 that's a value that drove him in those days, and he just assumed and expected everywhere he had a concert, he had a different woman to sleep with. Until this particular day. Had this particular party. And his eyes were on this particular girl. And he assumed that what he did last week, what he did week before, what he did last month, what he's been doing all his life, it will happen again tonight. And the guy said, no, not here. Ah, not here. What are, do you know who you're talking to? Akbola King? Not here? What do you mean not here? you know who I am? The, man said, the guy said, it doesn't matter. Do you know who my God is? And the man said to me, I didn't read this, he shared this with me personally. He said he went home that night thinking, what kind of a God can stop a girl from sleeping with him? And for days he was scratching his head, trying to, what, what God or what audacity? And it was through that thought process, he encountered, he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ and became born again. What would have happened if that girl, like the rest of the girls, simply obliged him? If she did not take her position and lived out her value system in a place and society that said it's normal, it's acceptable, that's what's at stake. If we're going to reach our world, we are going to have to demonstrate to this world a different set of values that they've been accustomed to. And that's why God is counting on you and I to really get this right. So what I'm saying to you is in every situation you find yourself in, recall your core value and judge the situation by the value you already established. And then you make the decision based on your value, not based on the situation. You see, there's a thing called situational ethics. I know you've been in college, you've learned about it in school, which says you act in the situation as the situation demands. It's a lie. It's a lie. No, you do not act in the situation as the situation demands. You act in any situation as God's value in you demands. So once you start doing that, that's the evaluation part of this process. Once you start doing that, what's going to start happening is, as you apply this method to every area and situation of your life, you begin to see that your actions are now becoming aligned with the values that you claim to embrace. That's the only way we're going to change our families and our nations. The values we talk about, we need to start living them out. Amen?
let, 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 me, let me give you an example of something that happened last night. Before I left the States, we, uh, we were trying to, Kunle and my wife, Kunle primarily, my brother, trying to help buy a truck that we need for the ministry in Ibadan, Nigeria. I saw the truck, I know the price of the truck, and I said, yes, you guys get it. So I got home, I got to the hotel last night, and I called my wife, you know, let her know I'm here, everything is fine. And she began to give me the, um, uh, began to apprise me of what happened. They went to pick up the truck. The owner said, well, he doesn't want a check. He doesn't want certified funds. It has to be cash. And not only that, he does not have the full ownership, the title to the truck. The bank still owns, he owes the bank. The bank still owes the truck and therefore the title. So my wife was asking me, what should they do? I said, what, what should you do? She said, yes. Well, I said to her, I said, first of all, you know what the principle in the, around, the premise around the ministry is in the ministry in Atlanta. I, as a pastor, or my wife, we cannot take cash out. You cannot write a check to my name in cash. From the, he said, no, go. Because in order to protect me and the ministry, it just doesn't happen. You're not going to write me a check and take me to the bank. I came out, I'm going to take it to the bank and cash it and put, put the cash in my pocket. And I'm going to use the money to go and do business on behalf of the church. No, 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 no. What we do is the check has to be made directly to the vendor. In which case, I'm totally out of the picture. Ah, but pastor, you're going to just, it's, it's a truck for the ministry. Yeah, I understand that today. Five years from now, when the employees have changed, memories are fading. And the account comes through the books and says, okay, uh, uh, November, October, uh, a certain amount of money, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to pass the bank. What, what happened to that? And everybody's cutting their heads. So, ah, we knew this man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we understand. Now, I like the truck. Nice. Excellent condition. But I told her, remember what the, what the principles are? It's a no go. We can't touch it. If the guy will not accept the check or certified funds, which is as good as cash, if he won't take certified funds in his own name directly, walk away from the deal. That's what I told her. The God that brought that will bring another one. I'm not desperate. Because he that believeth shall not make haste. But I'm trying to show you how these principles guide your decision-making process. No, you can't say, well, but, oh, that's, that's, that's a good deal. If you miss this one now, you, may, you don't know when you're going to find another one. That's good. I'll wait. I'll wait. We don't have it now, we, and we're still functioning. So I'm, I'm trying to say, this, this is what's going to happen. Once you start following these values, you're going to be surprised how things are going to start lining up for you. Don't make compromises. Not even the ones that look innocent. The innocent ones are the ones that actually have a way to come and tie you down. Solomon should know. He said, watch out for the little uh, foxes. They are the ones that spoil the vine, not the big ones. They destroy the vine. You know why? The little foxes eat at the roots. If the root system is gone, 
whatever is left of the vine is going to go anyway. The big foxes, they eat at the branches and the stems. The plant will survive. But the little ones, they are too little. They can't attack the branches. They go to the root. And when the root is gone, the plant is finished. So don't allow this, don't, don't, don't buy into this and say, well, this is just a little lie. No, it's not little. If you take the little lie, the big ones is around the corner. Good. Now, let me just throw out some ideas of godly values. Again, don't take this list as God-given list. I'm just throwing some things out to help you get started. But by no means should you be limited to these things I'm about to throw out. Number one, honesty. Loving. Truthfulness. Faithfulness. Trusting. Obedience. Being teachable. Being tolerant. Temperate. Loyal. Morally pure. Financially ethical. Patient. And integrity. Now again, these are just, this is just a list to help you get started. This does not mean this has to be your list. It's just to help you get started. Amen? Now, let me define for us what a successful family looks like as we talk about this value system. I want to give us a definition of successful family as we look at this godly system. A successful family, this may come as a shock to you because when you hear success and family, many of us are thinking of so many different things, but I want to put it this way. A successful family is a place where children and spouses can talk about anything. A successful family is a place where children and spouses can talk about anything. Now, you say, Pastor, what's, what relevance does that have to what we've talked about? These value systems and the list I just gave you. This is huge. What, what we're about to share now is what's going to make everything else we've talked about work or do not work. A successful family, don't forget that definition, is a place where children and spouses can talk about anything. Now, let, 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 let me just lead you on 
here for a minute. If I'm dishonest, what would stop me from being able to come to my wife and tell her, you know what, I, I lied at work today? Or, let's find a, a bigger, uh, a, a worse example. If I was looking at a woman in an inappropriate manner, at church or at work or in any public place, if I truly understand what God's done with family, what is stopping me from coming to my wife and saying, honey, I don't know what's going on. Today was a tough day. I could not keep my eyes straight. Every skirt that passed me, I almost chased them down the street. Oh, that's a better example, Pastor. <laughs> you, guys, you guys like that example better. I, I can see. But don't miss the point. Why can a man not come home and tell his wife that? The woman say, mm-hmm. no. It's more than that. Why would our children get in a fight at school? And we'll be the last to know about it. Huge. You know why? We've not created the environment where they feel safe to talk about anything. So even though I've established core values, and because I'm not the Holy Spirit, I'm an imperfect man, that is a work in progress, the Holy Ghost is still helping me work in alignment with these values that I'm embracing. Every now and then, I may miss it, have a misstep, get out of the way, but where is my safety net? Who can I go back to and say, you know, honey, hey, today I blew it big time. You did, I know, yeah. Once she tells you she knows, yes. The next time you blow it, are you going to go back and tell her? Men, talk to me. No. <laughs> Only four people is talking to me. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> this is huge. If we fix this, we totally remove what the enemy is using to wreak havoc in our homes. When our homes become a place where our children and spouses can't talk about anything. We remove the ammunition from the hand of the enemy. Because all of a sudden, we've created a safety harbor. You can dog me out while I'm out, but God help me, let me make it back home. I have a family support system. I have people at home. I can be totally honest, transparent, totally come clean and say, son, daughter, my wife, Husband, this is what happened to me. Safety help, safety net. Look at what God says in Isaiah 118. I'm I'm sure you know the scripture. Come now and let us reason together. This is God speaking. The God of the universe invites you and I to a dialogue. Come now and let us reason together, he says. Says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall 
be as wool. Oh my God. What a safety harbor. God is saying, don't run away from me. No matter what you've done, come and talk to me about it. Let us reason. I promise you, I will not judge you before I hear you out. I will not condemn you. I will not put guilt on you. Come, come, come. Don't go away from me. Come. And before you even tell me, I guarantee you, no matter how big the sin is, they'll be like, white as snow, I'll wash it away. He gives you a guarantee before you even talk to him. If every wife and every husband and every child knew that and believed that, our home will become a place where anything can be discussed. If we truly believe that and really know that we can reason together, we can disagree and still honor and respect you in your disagreement and understand that, I tell you, we all have brand new families from this moment. No doubt about it. Because it's amazing to me, because God, even though as big as he is, and, and, and with the assurance he gave us, you know how God never goes and tells Job about Moses' sin? Or he does not tell him about Noah's shortcomings, or Abraham's, or Isaac? No. There's a safety net that I can go to God and just confess to him and say, God, this is where I've blown it. He does not put me on pause and say, let me quickly report you to Moses. This is huge. This is it. Now, I'm going to confess to you, this is the, for me growing up, I did not have that kind of open environment. So, therefore, my makeup was one in which this is the area that I've had to do the most work. And still working. Did you guys hear that? Now, I couldn't, I mean, in those days, in fact, I tell my children now that I have a much better, wonderful relationship with my father now than when I was a child. Back then, there were symbols of fear. Capital F, capital E, capital A, capital R. What are you talking my father would wear those long knickers with long socks and he would put his pen in his socks. When he marches into the house, hey! Terror! So you go to a man like that and say, Daddy, can you tell me about sex? What? shortcomings, 
but you must have an avenue through to, to, to discuss those if you want to move forward. Huge. This is where the rubber meets the road. That's what I wrote in my notes. You see, because I find out it's never the sin itself or the failure in our lives. It's never those issues alone. Now, those things are bad. We are not condoning sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying to you, it's never the sin that we commit itself or the failure in our lives that undo us. No. The real failure is the failure to talk about the failure that gets us every time. That's the real failure. Failing to talk about the failure is the real failure we should be afraid of. It's never the event. It's never the incident. Richard Nixon did not lose the presidency as a result of just Watergate. He lost it because he covered it up. And Obama is walking right in, his, in that line right now as we speak with Benghazi Gate. It's never the event. But the cover-up that goes into covering up the event, that's usually what undoes people. And that's what I'm trying to achieve tonight for us to leave this place knowing that we must create that environment of safety where our families can become a place where anything can be discussed. Are you still following me? A successful family is marked by consistent love, sincere concern, it's marked by consistent love, sincere concern, and should be a sanctuary where everyone can be open in honesty. It should be a sanctuary because of the consistent love the sincerity and the concern that within, that's within our families. The family then should become a sanctuary where everyone can be open in honesty. It should be a place where you can express yourself without being judged, attacked, or condemned. A place where you can express ourselves without being judged, attacked or condemned. Now, families that are dysfunctional seldom allow such atmosphere. And I want to give you very quickly four quick things that you can use to measure your family to determine if in fact your family is dysfunctional. How do I recognize this is a dysfunctional family or a family that's not successful yet or a family that does not allow or encourage the environment where anything can be discussed. They stay hidden because I suppressed my feeling. I didn't express myself. I'm hurt, but it's hidden. You just wonder why I have an attitude. I'm always frowning. No matter what, everybody could be laughing and having a great time when I'm walking around, I just have an attitude. That wound is in there. It's like onion. There are layers. And which, with each succeeding hurt, 
that we never resolved, never dealt with as another layer. Layer after layer after layer after layer. Then all of a sudden we wake up one morning, married for 37 years, he said, I'm getting the divorce. He said, oh, they've been married for a long time. Yeah, they have. But they've been carrying suppressed feelings for a long time. They've been carrying hidden hurts for a long time. The volcano is not erupting. But it began a long time ago. But we never addressed it. We never resolved it. And now, this is what we're faced with. Okay. And I hope those four things should help us find where we are. Let me move to close now. Let's look at two families in the scripture that were dysfunctional. One, the patriarch Jacob. I'm just going to give highlights on this one because I want to get to the next one. Reuben, his son, slept with his wife. With his wife. Levi and Simeon, the Bible calls them violent. Joseph could not talk openly about his brother's unseemly behavior without inviting judgment which caused him serious pain in his life. Did you guys hear that? Joseph could not openly say, ah, my brothers were doing this, it's not good. Daddy, let's fix it. No. He opened his mouth, and his brother said, oh, okay, the eye does it. Yeah, you will die for this. You will pay. And then, of course, the brothers lied and covered up Joseph's predicament. And then Jacob himself encouraged it all by being partial in his love. Where did he get this from? This was a value that was transferred to him by his mother. Or really by his parents. I can't say his mother. Parents. Because Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Do you see how this has happened? Oh, are you guys here? Isaac loved Esau for the venison he brought him. That was his boy. Jacob, you here, you part of the family, but this is my boy, Esau. And Jacob knew it for sure. Rebecca, on the other hand, loved Jacob. He was mama's boy. Esau was too busy on the field. Family split down the middle. Jacob grew up and did exactly what he saw happen in his own family. He loved Joseph so much, he gave him a coat of many colors. Really, that could have been a bull's eye for target for shooting. Made him open target. But thank God, though, for his restoration. Because God restored them all, brought them back in Egypt, and it became one unit that became the foundation for the church. Twelve sons in Egypt together. That's understood for another day. So that's Jacob, a dysfunctional family. But what I want to really close on this evening with, let's go to Psalm 78. Hmm. Psalm 78. Let's look at David, verse 70. 
Bible said, he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young he brought, he brought him, to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. You can't take anything away from David. He was a great leader. And God used him powerfully, mightily, and he still speaks to all of us today. But one thing I can really thank God for through these scriptures is that God allows us to see some of the shortcomings and the mistakes of this great man so that you and I will not have to go, to go through what he went through. David was a great man. There's no doubt about that. But he did not pay enough attention to what was happening in his house. And it cost him dearly. Number one, Amnon, his son, in 2 Samuel 13, influenced by the wrong friend. Who needs a friend like this? Jonadab, that's his name to rape his own sister. Oh, his cousin? That's his sister of Absalom. But anyway. So David's son raped Tamar, Absalom's sister. Second Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. I don't want to read it. It's, it's there. From that day, what happened next? Absalom responded to what happened to his sister with intense, concealed hatred, which was allowed to fester. You can read that in 2 Samuel 13, verses 20 and 22. Let me, let me read Absalom's response. 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. Verse 20. And Absalom, your, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. How can a rape person hold their peace? He's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Verse 22. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Can you imagine that? He didn't speak good or bad. These are dangerous human beings. He's suppressing that feeling with intense, boiling, festering hatred. Okay? Verse 21 of the same chapter. We probably get to this maybe before it's all over, but you need to understand you've been anointed to help him. So no matter what you see him do or say, you must be calling on that that you know that God has called him to be. You are like God, calling those things that be not as though they were. 
just made a lousy decision. That appeared as if he was weak or cowered down. You need to speak to that valor that's in him. You are a mighty man of valor. I don't care what they say out there. I want you to know you are a man of valor. You are a man of God. You are my man of God. But if you are agreeing with what the world is saying about him already, he's been dug that eight hours, 12 hours, fighting traffic to come home, and he comes home, he has to take a beating from you again. Hello? Even a dog recognizes those that love them. But I'm glad that in spite of what God has allowed us to see in David, the commentary of God concerning David, when we read it in Acts 13, in verse 22, I mean, it is an encouraging thing. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he did not establish proper boundaries. He may not have motivated his children right all of the time. But look at what God said about him in verse 22 of Acts 13. And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. God, I, wait a minute, are you kidding me? The man that did not chastise or discipline his son, Absalom, how was he different from Eli? The man whose son raped his sister and the father didn't do jack. And yet years later, God can come back and say, I found a son of Jesse, David. A man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Dunk. Two things there. And a lot of times we focus on the last one, the last part. The man who will do all of my will. Do you know tonight the only reason David could do all of God's will was because of what God said before that? He had the heart of God. A man after my own heart. What does that mean? Does that mean he was blameless? No. No. And that's where I want to close tonight. Some of our families are here are dysfunctional. But that should not be on your tombstone. That should not be the summary of your life. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, we've all made mistakes. But we should never go down on the mistakes we've made. That should never define who we are. God does not want you and I to be defined by the mistakes we've made. God said, David, even though you blew it, you sinned, you messed up, you made all kinds of mistakes, one thing I appreciate about you, David, you know my heart. What is that? You understand the everlasting faithfulness of God concerning his mercy. You understand that the mercy of God is new every day. You understand that no matter how many times you miss it, you know how to come back to me like a GPS with a uh, compass that said, come back to God. You understand that no matter how bad you blew it, instead of running away from me, you are running to me. 
That is my heart. That is who I am. That is my nature. Mercy is what moves my throne. And because you understand that, you can do all of my will. Because you never allow your mistakes to shop, stop you. You never allow your failures to, 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 to become your hindrance or a barrier to your future. Many of us are limping because of our past experiences. Many of us cannot go forward because we're always having this guilt and condemnation that's pulling us back. But David was not like that. You said, David, you slept with Bathsheba. No, that David did, not this one. David, you are a murderer. I don't know who you're talking about because I'm repentant of that from God and God has removed my sin away from me as the east is from the west. I don't know that David you're talking about. I know the David that the sweet summits of Israel. I know the David that God said, I am the apple of his eye. I know the David that God said, I am delighted in you. That's the only David I know. Any other David you're talking about, that's on you. So I'm saying to us tonight, we can reset the button. You cannot do anything about your past, but you have a whole future ahead of you. And you must never allow the failures and the mistakes of the past to define and label who you are. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. God said you are a peculiar person. He has brought you out of darkness to take you into his marvelous light. That's who you are. Never allow your society and all the other things that's happened to define who you are. So, Father, we thank you that we are going to go home. We are going to take stock. We're going to invite the power and the presence of your spirit to help us to examine and reestablish godly values. God, we thank you because we know that you are a loving, faithful merciful God. God, you said there's there now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who works not after the flesh, but after your spirit. And so therefore, we have been justified by the power of the blood of your son. And so we will not take account of what the enemy is counting against us. Rather, you said, who shall lay charge against the elect of God. We choose you tonight. We are reestablishing godly values in our home. We are not going to look back and allow the enemy to label us as guilty and label us as failures and label us as men and women who have missed the mark. We accept your condition. We accept what you said about us. And so God help us as we reset the buttons. Create our homes anew. Give us a platform of expression. Let our houses and our families become your sanctuary. A place where anything can be discussed without fear or condemnation or guilt or shame. In the name of Jesus, give us the same long suffering that you have toward us for one another. Let us long suffer. Let us have patience for one another. Help us, Father, as we accept the call and the responsibility for our nation and nations of this earth. We bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen.